Hello everyone and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. Before we get started today, I want to go and remind everyone to like and subscribe to this podcast. Wherever you may be listening to podcasts, it helps to get into the algorithm, out into the rest of the world so we can hear the word of God. So today is going to be a Cliff Classic from Give Me an Answer. The title of it is called The Death of Jesus Solved the Ultimate Human Dilemma, Sin, Death, and Hell. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and it'll help you grow spiritually. So let's dive in. Jesus says the real human dilemma is sin which leads to death and to hell. And Christ comes healing people, he comes loving people, but when you read the Gospels you'll notice they focus on his death. Christ claimed that his death on the cross was the solution to the ultimate human dilemma. Sin, death, and hell. Christ claimed that when he bled and died on the cross, he was offering us forgiveness and eternal life in heaven, a restored relationship with the living God. Isn't it possible that in many cases the quest for earthly justice has been quelled because people feel there's going to be eternal justice so there's not as much need to seek to straighten things out in the here and now? Obviously, yes, at times. People have used the idea of heaven to mess up planet Earth, to be ecologically unwise. They have used the idea of heaven to not take care of their bodies. Oh, well, I'm going to heaven, I'll get a new body, so I don't have to take care of my body today. And yes, sir, some people have used the idea of heaven to justify not pursuing justice, winking at injustice, letting it slide. Those are three classic examples of how the idea of heaven has been totally abused. But when you look at a man like Dr. Martin Luther King, you see fundamentally sound in his thinking was the idea. I have a vision of heaven. And because I know what heaven will be like, I'm going to fight the racism, the dehumanization of life that is so rampant in my culture. And if you read Dr. Martin Luther King's talks, speeches, sermons, he consistently is talking about the day when white and black children will play together without being impeded by racist adults. Why? King was consistently focusing on the justice that will reign in heaven, and because he had a vision of heaven that didn't change, it wasn't relative, he was in a position to stand very strongly and peacefully against the racism of his day. I would argue that is an example of a proper understanding of God, Jesus, heaven. But has it been abused? Yes, sir, no question about it, it has been abused. Has faith in Christ been abused? Yes, sir, it sure has. How is it abused? Real simple. I believe in Jesus, I ask him to forgive me for my sin. I go out and sin again tonight, and then I go to the next day to confession and say, please forgive me. Classic example would be the mafia, right? Mafia, good Catholics, right? Good Catholic folks in the mafia who slit people's throats, blow people away with guns, and then go to confession and repent, and then go out and do the same thing that night. And obviously the whole idea of confession is totally distorted in that caricature of the Mafia. How do you say that one is right and the other is wrong? When you come, like when we come from inside the Christian tradition and we say, we say this is the Bible, this is God's word, how do you tell someone else that the tradition that they're coming from is not right when from where their perspective it's absolutely right? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, first point. It is not my culture that is right. It is not my way of dressing, my form of government, my economic system, my healthcare system that is right. That is not the issue. And obviously at times it has been made the issue, which is tragic. The issue is Jesus Christ. Did he accurately reveal God or did he not? That is the issue. Did Muhammad accurately reveal God or did he not? Did the avatars of Hinduism accurately reveal God or did they not? So that's the fundamental issue. This is not a cultural issue, an economic issue, a personal preference issue. The issue is Jesus made some truth claims. Because of the extreme nature of his truth claims, he is either right or he's wrong. He was not nebulous about his identity. He was not nebulous about the way through death to heaven and eternal life. So Jesus is either lying or he's speaking the truth. But the same can be said of Muhammad. The same can be said of the avatars of Hinduism. So it's an issue of truth. Now, fortunately today, there are far more followers of Christ outside of the West than there are inside the West. It used to be taught on almost every Amer American university campus that Christianity was this Western thing. Bogus. Jesus was not born in the Big Apple, and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, not an American flag. And Jesus Christ is not for one race, he's for the entire world. And he comes from that land bridge called Palestine where Europe, Asia, and Africa come together. And I'm real excited that there are far more followers of Christ outside the West than there are inside the West. But there's still, I mean, there's still this fundamental dilemma of, you know, telling people that they're wrong. And I'm, I mean, that's, and I'm not saying that it's a cultural thing. I'm saying that, like, I look at the Bible and I say, this is the truth. And it, it says it's the truth and it's God's word. And I'm, you know, I'm mm -hmm. inside this. Mm -hmm. But then there's somebody else who's inside there. And it's bringing up a question of relativism. And I think it's really hard to resolve. And I'm just, I'm kind of interested in hearing what you have to say about why this is right and something else not. And you can't really, you can't just say, well, because the book says so, because someone else has a different book. Well, how can we, how can we resolve this dilemma? Okay, the way I resolve the dilemma is, if you happen to be Muslim, I say, let's read the Quran and let's read the New Testament. And let's ask ourselves, does the evidence point to Muhammad being a reliable source of information about God? Or does the evidence point to Jesus Christ being a reliable source of information about God? Let's study the evidence. Now, obviously, I don't believe that the bottom line is an intellectual exercise. I'm convinced that the bottom line is a spiritual thing. And Jesus insisted, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be open. So I'm convinced it's not simply an intellectual exercise. It's a spiritual issue. But if that, I mean, that's what Jesus suggested, that's fine, but other people had other suggestions. Yes. And so what makes this more valid than that? The question is, what is real? What is true? In the same way that you search for truth in mathematics, in science, in history, in your relationships with other people, you don't like hypocrisy, you don't like lying and deception, it's not the way to build a deep relationship. So when it comes to the search for God, we're searching for reality. What is real? If Muhammad is real, if Muhammad is reliable, I need to follow what Muhammad says.
people like in South America that you know that have never like in the jungles or whatever primitive cultures that have never heard of Jesus how God judge those people difficult question I do not know specifically how God will judge those who've never heard about Jesus because Jesus never addressed your excellent question but he makes five points that apply to your question first point is Jesus insisted God is just nobody's getting ripped off second point Jesus insisted the only reason people go to hell is because they choose to live their life separate from God. No one's going to go to heaven because of a low IQ. No one's going to go to, excuse me, no one's going to go to hell because of a low IQ. No one's going to go to hell because of lack of information. Third point, Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament gives a partial list of people's names who will be in heaven who obviously never heard about Jesus. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab, a Gentile prostitute, born hundreds of years before him obviously never heard about Jesus. But in humility, they put their faith in God. Fourth point, the only reason those folks will be in heaven, the only reason any of us will be in heaven, Jesus insisted, is because he bled and died on a cross for our sin. And fifthly and finally, although I do not specifically know how God judges those who have never heard about Christ, I do know that all of us here have more than ample opportunity to hear about Christ. Yeah, like, so God will uh, you know, judge accordingly, you know, individually, right? Correct. But, uh, so wouldn't that kind of apply also to people who might believe in other religions? Okay. Does that apply? Well, in John 3:18, we have an example of how Jesus says, if you're here about me and reject me, you're, you're not going to heaven. In John 3:18, Jesus says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. But uh, couldn't God forgive him because they don't know what they're doing? Like, you know, Jesus forgave the people who crucified him because he said they do not know what they are doing, you know? So good. even though wouldn't what, what's in their hearts really matter if they're good in their, in their heart, you know, because they don't really know. Right. Now, unfortunately, Jesus disagrees with that idea. Jesus points out that none of us are really, really thoroughly good in our hearts. Yeah, yeah. Jesus points out we're Jekyll and Hyde's. At times we do that which is good. Every atheist friend of mine at times does that which is good. But every Christian friend of mine, as well as every atheist friend of mine, at other times does that which is wrong. So we're not these pristine, pure people that we would love everyone to believe yeah, so that we are. Yeah, so nobody's perfect, so why doesn't, why doesn't he accept those people? Well, if we're genuinely sorry for that wrongdoing and ask him for forgiveness, he will forgive us. Let me give you one example. I haul back, smack this guy in the face. He looks at me and says, Cliff, uh, you really did something wrong to me. But Cliff, I offer to forgive you. And I look him in the face and say, bug off, man. I didn't do anything wrong. You don't need to forgive me. He can sit there and offer me forgiveness all day long. But reconciliation between this man and me is impossible if I'm going to sit here saying, I didn't do anything wrong when I smacked you. You deserved it. You see, forgiveness never kicks into gear until I say, my man, I am sorry. I smacked you, and that was really wrong of me to do. Would you please forgive me? And the man says, yes, Cliff, I forgive you. And I say, thanks, my man, so much. And there's reconciliation. Well, the same thing is true with God. If I'm going to kick back and say, what do you mean forgive me, Jesus? I don't need you to forgive me. I'm a great guy. Jesus can for offer me forgiveness all day long, but it does no good. And that's why Jesus said, come to me and I'll forgive you. But you got to come to me. Okay, I have another question. Go ahead. Um, in the end of time, when there's a, after the judgment day and everybody, all the spirits that are supposed to be in heaven are in heaven and the, all the souls that are supposed to be in hell are in hell, right? One day that's going to be 
and the end of time. That's how it's going to be, right? Yes. Why didn't God just make it like that? Okay, good question. Because this life is real. Yes, God is all-knowing. But I would argue, just because God is all-knowing does not mean that I have to move that way or I have to move that way. God's being all-knowing is due to his perspective outside of time. It is not due to the fact that I am determined. Fatalism has no place in the Bible. Now, I think it does have quite a bit of place in the Quran. The wit's the will of Allah. Everything is the will of Allah. But I think when you read the New Testament, what comes out instead is that you and I have free will, and that is why we are responsible for what we do, and God will judge us. He will hold us responsible what we do because we really decided to do it. We didn't have to do what we did. Once again, I'll go back to that whole issue of smack in this guy. Smack, right? I turn to you and say, I had to do it. What a crock. I did not have to hit the guy. I chose to hit the guy. I am responsible for hitting him. And on a day of judgment, I will answer to God for dehumanizing the man by hitting him. If God comes along and gives different groups, different moral laws, and, and different demands uh, at various points in time, then why wouldn't it be just as realistic that God came along and gave Muhammad a new law for those who are going to uh, be Islamic, or come along later and, and give uh, to uh, Joseph Smith uh, for the Mormons or David Koresh. It sounds to me like you've, you've described a situation where all of these other religions could possibly be true because God is giving these different laws and commandments to people who are different because he chose to, and it doesn't sound to me like a moral absolute. It sounds like, you know, different strokes for different folks. Okay, good. I am the oldest of six children. Obviously, I believe that Jesus has called me to do this type of work. I have a brother who's two years younger than me. He's a transplant surgeon. If someone looks into my brother's face and says, you know something, your older brother Cliff is really, really committed to Jesus, because he goes out and preaches on university campuses. And you, Stuart, because you're a transplant surgeon, <laughs> you're obviously sort of the second-rate Christian. And then I've got another brother who's a law professor in a law school in Florida. And if someone goes up to my brother John, who's a law professor, and says, you know, John, your older brother Cliff, he's really committed to Jesus. But you, John, you're a second-rate Christian because you're a professor at a law school. You see, that is incredibly distorted thinking. God has created us to work. And he puts different callings on our lives. And God has called my younger brother Stuart to be a transplant surgeon, I believe. And he's called my younger brother John to be a law professor. And he's called my younger sister Heidi to be a school teacher. And he's Welcome back everyone to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host Nick Coons. Before we end today, I want to go ahead and remind everyone to like and subscribe to this podcast. Wherever you may be listening to podcasts, it helps to get it into the algorithm and out for more people to hear the word of God. I really hope that this episode of Give Me an Answer, the Cliff Classics, has helped minister to your life and that it has brought you closer to Jesus. So with that, until next time, we meet again. May God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved.